Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Courtney. I'm here with my spouse, Royce, and together we are the ace couple. And today we have yet another fabulous guest, and we cannot wait for this conversation. So I just want to dive right into it. Please introduce yourself to our audience. Well, hi, y'all. I am Marshall, a.k.a. the Gentle Giant Ace. I am a Black asexual activist out of Erie, Pennsylvania, which is a small town. Well, not a small town, but it's like a small, big city type thing. It's in that weird chimney part of Pennsylvania. But I live right there, and that's where my work is based out of. I am so glad that you took the time to sit down with us today because we have been just... We, we've chatted back and forth here and there. Well, if you're on Twitter, first of all, you, you know the gentle giant ace, I'm sure, if you are ace and on Twitter. So perhaps he needed no introduction for you. But if you are a listener of this podcast, then you may also be familiar with the fact that last year during Pride Month, I wrote an article for Bon Appetit about the history of cake in the asexuality community. And Marshall, you were so kind as to be one of my interviewees in that you gave me some fabulous quotes for it uh, that really made that article special. So we'll put a link in that description if you want to read that or if you need to catch up. But I want to talk about cake for a minute and then we want to get into all the kind of work you do. But one thing that we just absolutely love about your Twitter account on any time there is an Ace Week, anytime there is an International Asexuality Day, your mother is just this like ace cake, like beautiful hero of a person. Tell us all about her, her cakes, being an ally to you, because that is something that not a lot of ace people have, like just a super supportive parental figure in their life. So we just love that. And we want to talk about that first. Yeah. Um, my mom, she, like me, was born in Erie. Again, it's a it's a small big city, but it has a way of like we don't have like a lot of access to a lot of like LGBTQI plus spaces, if that makes sense. So when I came out as asexual, she knew about it, but not a lot about it. So in a way, my activism has been a, a learning point for her. And also the favorite part of her learning curve about asexuality is the cake because she loves to cook. Yeah, it's so fun and she gets so creative and it's always like done in the ace colors and frosted and decorated. And that is just such a bright spot, like number one cake ally. I am I am going to give that to her for sure. And since since it was a bit of a learning point for her, as I'm sure it is for a lot of parents of aces out there, when when was it that you came out and what can you tell us about what your journey first of learning that your aces and then the actual coming out process to people who maybe didn't get everything right off the bat? Well, I've always known that I was different, but I couldn't pinpoint my sexuality. So I pretty much spent years, I think like a lot of ace people before they come out or before they even know the name to their identity and way trying to, well, for me, it was less about fitting in and just more about just like being a te- teenager, having fun with my friends, stuff like that. But there was a time where dating and like the talk of dating and sex was thrown in, but it was nothing that really attracted me. But it was like one of those things where you just know you're different, but you didn't, you, didn't, you, you weren't straight, you weren't gay, you just felt somewhere in between. 
so I it was coming towards late 2015, 2016, where I actually came out to my sister-in-law, where I didn't know how to come out, but I just said, basically, I don't know how I feel about people. And she said, basically, maybe you're asexual. And I'm like, uh, what is that? Then she sent me literally a link to a organization, or I think it was Google. And basically, I looked it up and I'm like, yeah, that's me. And it's like one of those, it's like one of those, like the, the light when the light bulb goes off type things. Like it's, and I just was, it was just one of those things where my life was shifting and so was society in a way, where 2016 was a very pivotal point to where things are, were heading um, for us in the 2020s. So I kind of find it ironic that I would come out at the time. And it seems like not too long after discovering that and coming out, you just sort of dived into doing all of these activism projects and education. And was that something that was very natural for you to do and just sort of happened organically? Or did you see a need that you just like needed to fill, even if it wasn't in your comfort zone right off the bat? I didn't really have being an activist in my cards. It was like one of those things where I just dived and fell into, mainly because I experienced a lot of ace phobia. I decided to go out to a lot of queer spaces and when I started to say, hey, I'm asexual, I'm a part of the community, you got like a lot of pushback to people who either didn't understand it or they just felt like, how can you have a sexuality without sex where it's just like, I tell them that it's not that, it's way more complex than that. And and they still don't want to get it. It's almost like that episode of how that infamous episode of House. <laughs> yes, we're familiar with that one. Yeah, it's like something that's been haunting for decades, and uh, we're not uh, we're haunting for a little bit over a decade now. And it seemed like those tropes and those stereotypes hit me. And I was kind of, I'm the type of person that I, if I find out who I am and I'm born who I am, I'm not apologetic about it. I just naturally, it's kind of like, you're not going to mess with who I am in my community. And my activism just fell into wearing a flag to the grocery store randomly, wearing pride buttons, which I still do. It's like one of those things where it also showed that activism was a very complex thing as well, because a lot of people just assume that activism is just public speaking and stuff. But there are ways that you can be an activist on your comfort level and without putting yourself in harm's way, but also getting your word out there. Yeah, absolutely. And there are actually, if there are a couple of different organizations that you've worked with, which I'd love to hear a little more about how you sort of came into those roles and what you're uh, doing there. Because I believe you were on the Pennsylvania LGBTQ Commission. Uh, I'm on. I'm actually still on it now on the LGBTQ Committee on LGBTQ Affairs. It's, it's a tongue twister. Ah, okay. I knew it was something along those lines, but every state kind of has their own take yes. on what that committee is, what the verbiage they use is. And I was initially on the city's LGBTQ board, but I had a falling out with my mayor's administration where it was in a response to a protest that went horribly wrong. And someone, trigger warning, a girl got kicked in the middle of the street. And basically oh. the mayor said that the video, which was seen by thousands of people across the globe, that it was doctored. Like, it was, like, fake, a fake. And I actually did not feel safe at City Hall anymore. As it is, I am a Black queer person walking into City Hall in a very white administration. I don't need to give my work constantly. So I was like, I went online and just did a whole paragraph on Facebook about, about quitting. And it started a very interesting um, conversation because even 
even that story became whitewashed in a way where a white activist who I am, I am um, friends with, they got more of the lead of the news about their withdrawal, where it's me. I had to, it took a, a local newspaper by the name of Erie Reader, a person who writes up for it, um, his name is Nick Warren, uh, which shout out to you if you're watching, if you're hearing this. He gave me an opportunity to voice what really happened, how I felt, and it really gave light to how activism in 2020 was really, really something that was very serious. And it led me to jumping into going from the city to now having my work in the state and now having enough power to making sure that my work gets around the world, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. And that is such an important conversation to have because we have all these activists that we can look up to and aspire to be like, or they can just show us representation in the world. But sometimes they are put in situations that don't feel safe, that don't feel comfortable. And like you said, being a Black queer person, I'm really glad that someone was able to shine a spotlight on that because it it does seem to be the case that uh, white folks get the most media attention. Yes, like it's difficult because a lot of the people I work I work alongside with in terms of activism, while we are acquaintances and friends in these spaces, we don't get the same type of media that uh, everyone else does. It is difficult, but it actually makes me more determined to get my work out there for the community. It's it's not easy being one of the very few Black asexual um, men who are doing the work. So it's it just gives me like a very inter- interesting um, leeway into saying we're here. Yeah, absolutely. It It is so important to have that representation and to have that on your local level, I think, is extremely important, too, because... We can have, you know, the biggest Twitter following in the world, but if we aren't actually trying to represent our local areas and actually push for change and be a voice to someone who, you know, can help shape policy, a a lot of things can still sort of fall by the wayside there. And if I'm not mistaken, you've also been on the board of asexual outreach. Is that right? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um. We are still up and running it. We are trying to figure out where to go in the future uh, with it. But it's been definitely it's definitely been a very powerful resource to have. It's a good way to get connected to the community and across Canada and the United States. It's a powerful resource to have now, especially with everything going on, where there may have been people who need a place where they can look at and say, I need to go there eventually. Yeah, I'm I'm such a fan of asexual outreach and I'm very excited to see what you all are able to do in the future, because if I'm not mistaken, Asexual Outreach was the first actually registered asexual nonprofit, uh, which is fabulous because the the name that everyone always pulls out, like the big name that we all know is Avon, right? And Avon will be the one that will be quoted in all the articles. That's where people get sent for resources, but although they're the the biggest and most well-known, they aren't the only one. And there are other organizations that are doing a lot of really necessary work. And Asexual Outreach actually overtook, or they, they took over sort of facilitating Ace Week at the end of October, too. So that's a big celebration. It's the longest running Ace Pride event that I'm familiar with. Yes, right. it's like one of those things where it's been a lot of progress, a lot of work. It also helped me, like, it's nice to have a team that actually helped me get 
the eighth week to be recognized in the Commonwealth State of Pennsylvania. It was a amazing thing to achieve for the state, for ace Pennsylvanians and even ace people around the world, because it's just nice to make sure that ace people are recognized by any any form of government. But I think with asexual outreach, what makes me proud to be on that board is that it's very grassroots. That makes sense. And people know who people really know um, who's behind who's behind like the operation. I make I definitely make sure that I make people know that I am involved with asexual outreach. And if they need a link to the website, I give them, give it out and stuff. It's one of those things where it's, it makes me very proud to be part of. Yeah, I think that transparency is fabulous because there are definitely some organizations that you wouldn't even really know who to contact if you wanted to get in touch with someone. If you haven't personally already been involved in the organization, there isn't really a like, here's all of our folks, here's what everyone's role is, and uh, everything is very, very transparent on asexual outreach. So I definitely appreciate them for that. Oh, thanks. It's like, it makes me very proud to see people interact with the with the website. It's a fun website to use. You can actually get involved in activism or advocacy. And it's it's a good learning tool for people who are allo and they want to know more about asexuality. It definitely feels great being part of a organization where it may be small, but it's it's growing organically in the sense of we're reaching out to the community constantly. And make sure that we're on the ball. We're on the ball of what's to come in the future with everything going on. I definitely have a idea, but I don't know if it's going to materialize. But it's quite one of those tricky things where what's like what's happening in Florida and what's happening in Texas, Oklahoma. There are a lot of ace people who need resources to flee to other states. I definitely have a idea, which I can't. Fortunately, I can name now, but. I hope asexual outreach can be a part of helping people right, go to safety. Yeah, that would be really cool to see in the future. And I know I will be eagerly awaiting to see what the next step sort of is for that organization. So we'll we'll share things out as we see them when they come to fruition. Yes. Right, so I can't wait to see what the future of like the community is going to um, be like. So far, for example, with, with Yasmin um, Benoit being like Grand Marshal of one of the largest pride parades in the, in the country... Yeah, that was a very cool uh, announcement. Yes, like like you and my mom was very excited about it because she said, "If I feel like y'all don't get the recognition that y'all deserve, and to have to be grand marshal and asexual and one of the largest parades in the country, it's just amazing." Oh yeah, one of the largest parades in the world too. I mean, there are still you know petty people online who will argue, "Oh, aces don't belong in the community." It's like, well. Yes. NYC Pride begs to differ. Yes. I mean, we're literally outside. I always argue with people who say, what makes you uh, what makes you queer? And I'm like, we are outside of the heteronormative view of sexuality. So that was what, that's what makes us queer. And it's still you got the people who are like, well, you still don't belong or you still don't do this. But it's that's my activism is pretty much taking up space. If that makes sense. Uh, making sure that we're seeing like I always wear my like, pride pins wherever I go. I'll always bring my flag if I want to put it on, uh, especially around pride. I think it's very important to make sure people know about us because we are a growing community and people need to be aware of us existing. And also that I don't want people my age and younger to go through what I went through coming out because it was, while it was freeing to come out th- the way I did, it was also in a ways. A bumpy road because you, you have people who took it as a joke and people who took it as 
like you're just trying to be different stuff like that and i'm like i'm not trying to I'm, i am different <laughs> yeah <laughs> that that's kind of been the narrative lately whether it be for aces or arrows or anyone who uses uh some type of micro label for any niche within the lgbtqia plus community the sort of go-to has been like oh you just want to feel special <laughs> It's always such a weird comment because why would someone volunteer to get harassed? Yes. <laughs> like I wake up every day and say, "Ooh, I want to be potentially like harassed today at the grocery store." And I actually almost was uh, once, but it was by someone I knew since the mid '90s at a local grocery store where she knows, like she know. I wear my pride pins everywhere I go. She see, she sees them. It, they're obvious. They're big. They, I mean, they're like you. You can see them. But she literally asked me in front of a young cash register person, um, so where's your girlfriend? And I I, I immediately said, I'm queer. And it was like dead silence. And the girl that was checking me out was like chuckling. I'm like, (laughs) yeah. Good for her. Yeah, and she and she's like, "Oh, I'm sorry." I'm like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Not every man, not every man that you see here is into women or men or anyone sexually." Yeah, and the thing about that comment in particular, I know that's a thing that people say sometimes. Like, I I've heard things like that too. Like, "Oh, where where's your boyfriend?" or Actually, more often it's like I'm at a, a queer bar lately and, and someone would be like, so where's your significant other? And it's like the assumption that everyone has one, it's either a base assumption or they're like fishing for information for you in a very weird, assumptive way. And I just think whether you know someone or not, whether they're queer or not, even if it is a cishet person, maybe they're just single. Maybe they like it that way. Maybe it's a point of contention. But either way, why would you just start like that? It's 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 almost in the same line as like if you are in a partnership, if you are part of a couple and people are like, oh, so when are you having those kids? Like, yes. When did I tell you I was definitely going to have kids? That is like that's like one of the most annoying things because people just lay out. I think that's one of the biggest things about being asexual and experiencing an autonormative family, even even a social group where they have expectations for you, even if they don't know you. And it's just so it's just very annoying. And I had a family member come up to me in my brother's wedding. And that alone was a very weird, weird experience because it was very it was giving very like hetero. Like I just wanted to immediately take off my tuxedo in the middle of the dance floor and put on my my nasty T-shirt, my pins and my hat and just call it. <laughs> a day. This this environment is too hetero for me. <laughs> It, it, it is. And it was. And basically, my relative was like, don't wait till I get too old to get married. I'm like, number one, who says you're invited? Oh. <laughs> like, number two, no, you're going to be waiting a long time. You might want to get a wheelchair. Wow. Perfect. Perfect gateway is like, well, who said you're going to be invited? <laughs> Oh, that's so shady. I love it. <laughs> like, it's kind of like, how, it's like, it's like, how dare you uh, invite yourself to a wedding I'm not going to have? Like, it's like one of those things, it's like one of those things where it's like, a, even, even the boundaries of that are crossed. Like, if I don't know you or if I don't trust you to cross, a, to be at my boundaries, it's like, why would I want to invite you to something that's very special to me? And, and again, 
I feel free. I feel free. Like a lot of asexual people are in relationships. A lot of asexual people are married. I just happen to be one of the asexuals that are that just and just just I like being single. I like independence. I, I'm not alone. There's eight billion people on the earth. Like it's just like it's hard to say alone because I just go. To, I actually go to the grocery. I can go to the gas station down the street from my house and be like, um, "So hey, how's your how's your day going?" and not feel alone. Stuff like that. I enjoy company like that. But when it comes to part partnership, like my mom asked me if I was one day in the future going to be in a partnership. I, I mean, I, I like in a relationship, and I'm like, maybe it's not a no, but maybe like for like going out to a movie, a, a cafe, but not. I don't. It's just I just enjoy my alone time a lot. Yeah, and I mean, I'll I'll tell you what too, because obviously, I mean. We are a married ace couple and we are monogamous. But for me, like I did not meet Royce until I got super comfortable and happy with the idea of being single. And I think that's one of the big keys to finding happiness within a relationship, even if that is something you're aspiring toward. Because earlier in my life where I had all these societal pressures to be in relationships and lots of people, like if I was ever single for half a second, a a dozen people would ask me out all at once. And it's like, nobody would give me any space to just be. Once I got to a point where I was like, you know what? I'm happy alone. I am content. I am not actively looking for a relationship. Then I just so happened to find Royce and and that was just fine. But I think there can be a lot of unhealthy relationships that start because of a societal pressure to be in a relationship. And maybe people hold on to relationships that aren't working a little too long for those reasons also. So I think whether or not a relationship is ever in the cards for any given person in the future, I think learning how to be content and happy alone is still just a valuable life skill in general. Yeah, it's like, I didn't grow up with a lot of pressure of finding um someone, especially when I was a teenager. I think I think someone like my mom wanted me to stay a kid for a while, stay a kid for longer, which in a way is I did. But at the same time, it's just like I knew I think once I found my label, I felt like the social pressures just dropped like immediately. I found out like more about myself when I came out as asexual and I'm also it also changed a lot of my relationships with people. And I think it even took, uh, let's say my my parents, for instance, just the transparency I have my parents about my sexuality. It helps out a lot, especially me talking to my mom. Me and my mom are like best friends. And we talk about a lot of stuff when we basically bake these cakes. And basically in a way, it's almost like she's unpacking like the kind of like the social expectations of what it is of, I'm growing up. Like in terms of in relationship, relationships and how you have relationships with, pe- relationships with people. But in a way, it's definitely made our bond stronger in the sense where we have more of an understanding. Where I wish every single family bond or friend bond was like that. Um, but you, you still have people who are very question mark about it. Some people would be like, so where's your girlfriend? Or when are you going to get married? Stuff like that. Where my mom's the type of person where if she heard that, she would like, like, like kind of like come at people. <laughs> So she definitely plays mama bear a bit, huh? She said she doesn't care if I'm 80, 90, 100. I'm still her, I'm still her kid. So she's that type of person. Like, 
she does not want anyone to come into my space and harass me and try to erase my uniqueness. And being one of the very, very, very few asexual people in my family, the only one, I think the only open, opening one of my dad's side of family, is something that it's it's both challenging and also rewarding in the sense where I just be myself and have that protection of my parents. Well, and that's so important too for activists or anyone that's going to be very, very visible as a queer person because activism can be exhausting. And even if you don't have parents who are as supportive, you still, it, you've got to have some kind of support system, whether it's a best friend, a partner, a, a spouse, a queer platonic relationship, or just a really healthy like group of friends. Having some kind of support system is so vital as a queer person because you could have the worst day in the world at a rally, at a political meeting, online, but to have someone who's just like a real person who just loves you and sees you for who you are is imperative. Like it's very important. It's very it's very important, especially in in days like these. And I told this one kid who he was a local kid and basically wanted to get into activism and literally inboxed me saying that they wanted to be in activism and they gave me a set of rules of like I don't want to be told certain things like I don't I want to keep my privacy to be kept secret. I'm like once you step into the world of activism, privacy is not something you are afforded to except for for your of course your very personal stuff but you your life in a way is is open window in a sense of like people know who you are people know pretty much who you affiliate with and etc and i think where they were trying to get was they want to have like a very custom-made activist role and i'm like activism is it's messy it's like it's not a it's not something you eat with a knife and fork. It's something that you have to pick up and like almost shove in your face, like a pizza, like a good slice of cake. Yeah, it can get really messy and it can also be very rewarding. And surely if you're someone who wants or needs anonymity, there are still some things that you can do. Like there, there are tasks you can volunteer for within the greater like the greater fight for social justice there's like text banking where you can volunteer for an organization and text a bunch of people about legislation coming out help people get out to vote and those are things that are great for people that need to stay anonymous but a lot of local activism does need to have some level of transparency because if you're going out to a protest, you're going to be there in a crowd of people. If you are speaking against a bill, you're going to be physically present in a city hall kind of a situation. And and even just, you know, grassroots meetings, even throughout the pandemic, I noticed when a lot of local activism meetings started becoming more virtual more often, especially amongst trans community members, 
it's always been very important if you're coming to these meetings, cameras on. And so many people have gotten very comfortable on like Zoom calls, just keeping their camera off, especially if it's a big group and some people have their cameras on. They're like, I'll just not do this. But the most marginalized members of our community, like a lot of black trans women are like, we can't play with our safety like that. We need to know who is in this meeting. We need to know that someone behind the, you know, screen with the camera off isn't a, you know, white Republican man. We have to know there isn't a a proud boy sitting here spying on us. Like a lot of it does for everybody's shared safety need to have some level of transparency, which is a little bit of a paradox because in some ways, if you get visible enough as a marginalized person, you to some extent will have a target on your back. Oh, definitely. And being activists in 2020 through now, I think because things are so polarized now, even if you, let's just say with the recent Bud Light uh, situation, even if you chose, like, let's say you dr- you drunk a Bud Light, oh, now you're thrown into the mess. And it's fortunate that people, the most marginalized in our community can't thrive without such hatred. Like what's wrong with having a sponsor? It's like one of those things I'll never understand. I think there will be a time in the future where we're going to look back at this and we're going to be like, wow, what the hell? Where where were we? Hopefully that will be soon and rather than like 2040 or 2050. And it's very interesting in a sense of that being an activist, I should say in a space that where you are like very, like you're like one of the only or very few black um, activists in the space. Sometimes your voice, your voice is unheard or it's just viewed as little but you have a very big target on your back and a lot it's just it's a lot to work up against it's like climbing mount everest in a way where if you're coming into the scene if you're an activist especially if you're black and queer you're going to have it's going to take months to up to years to get to the point where let's say someone who's white and getting into activism it'll take them a matter of a month month or two and sometimes it could be very challenging but i wouldn't give up and i hope that changes too in a sense where if you are black and queer and jumping into activism that you get the same amount of visibility without hope without having a target as a lot of white activists and that's that's a big thing that happened in in the community where a lot of our work if you speak to a lot of like black asexual people a lot of us tend to feel like we are ignored in, in a sense it's only times where like right now like you're offering me a platform on your on your space which is very helpful it's very sad that it takes years for us to do something where it's for people to take a month. It is very interesting because in in some ways over the last couple of years, the community has started getting better about talking about intersectionality. But one thing that uh, Royce, you and I have kind of had private conversations about this, a lot of people don't know that I was around before we started this podcast, but it wasn't the ace couple, Courtney and Royce. It was just Courtney, the disabled mixed race woman who wants to talk about disability and asexuality. And I want to talk about race and asexuality. And I want to talk about all these other things, but I would get mass harassed by people in our community and that would make me like walk away for a couple months and not want to say anything again because of the sheer amount of hatred. And we have talked behind closed doors. Well, what happened? Did the community get better in a year or two? Or the fact that I'm here, is that just changing perception? 
that's another thing too because it's like well i i th- that's really the only thing that's changed is now i'm not just courtney i am in proximity to royce who is completely white and also uh, the the thing with voices getting amplified, this is something I really want to make clear because I don't think a lot of people realize this because technically speaking, if you look at the surveys like the ACE community surveys and a lot of analytics for like ACE content that gets consumed, it does skew more heavily women and non-binary folks than men So people will take that and say, well, ace or like ace men are a minority in this community. And that is true by a numbers standpoint, but I see a distinct difference between a white man who comes on the scene talking about asexuality and an ace man with any other marginalized intersectional identity going on because... While it's true that by numbers there are fewer men talking about asexuality, white men have their voice amplified so much faster and louder than other members of the community. Yeah, if you were to compare the like quantitized representation or, or reach, it's way disproportionate with the actual like population demographic percentage of, of, of white men in the ace community. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where, like, I think that's one of the things where in, in activism in a space like this community where it gets very exhausting when on intersexuality, it becomes trendy to other people where to me it's everyday life. Like, I'm always going to be Black asexual. I'm always going to be African-American asexual. And it impacts how people view me and how people will perceive me and how they will approach me. Like, it's like one of those things where... I wouldn't be perceived as, uh, like, let's just say the face of quote unquote asexuality, where there are people, there are millions of asexual people who probably, who, look, who look like me. But I, I do see it, cha- I do see it changing slightly. But I think a community has to get out of the cycle type uh, situation where, like, one, like 2020, where it was big, like Black Lives Matter. It was like we, we want to like give y'all money, like we want to give y'all resources. Then in 2020 come, 2021 comes. And it's just radio silence. And it feels like 2020 was just a different decade. Like, it felt like we went from the 1960s all the way to the, 19, the 90s in a sense where it feels like people forgot about our stories and forgot about how the whole George Floyd situation impacted us in our in our health. And I've always called out, but I've always expected to fall back into, I, I probably have to say it again in the next two months. It's like one of those things where it's like being it's like being on a broken record, but I do see it changing because of let's just say I do have a growing number of people who follow me who are seeing my work, and also the the asexual goddess Yasmin Benwal, et cetera, et cetera. Our work is growing; it's being viewed by different people, but it still took us a lot of time, a lot of time, and a lot and a lot of effort to get to the point where we're at. It's again, it's worth it, but I just wish people understand that you have to remember that asexuality is many faces, many backgrounds, religions, race, race ethnicities, etc. That's why I made that video. I made the video on YouTube, on my YouTube channel. It's racism, a um, racism, big thing in the ace community, where I did say that there's a stereotype in the community that asexuality is a white thing. And a lot of people do take advantage of that stereotype. A lot of people got it very well. And some people were kind of like, I just hate that everything revolves around race. But unfortunately, because of the yeah. society that we, li- we, we, we live in, most things evolve around race, unfortunately, down to healthcare, mm-hmm. uh, healthcare, uh, 
how people receive treatments, how people are viewed walking down the street in their own neighborhoods, et cetera, et cetera. But I think as time goes on and more education is put out there, I think people will get better in the community about that. But I think we had to break the cycle of like, it just goes, comes around, I mean, every other month. Yeah, it really, it's so unfortunate because at least from sort of the social media sphere that we inhabit, like the ACE community is very fractured in some ways. There's like an ACE Twitter and then there are ACE Discord servers and then there is Avon and there doesn't seem to be just like one solid community. They're just these little splinter fraction communities. But at least on ACE Twitter, what I've observed is that racism in and out of the community becomes an occasionally trending topic. Like someone will bring it up in a way that gets big enough, it gets enough retweets that everyone will be retweeting everyone else and everyone's talking about this and Ace Twitter's in a frenzy about racism for a week or two. And then it's just gone. It's gone. Like, okay, well, we'll we'll see you next time it becomes a trending topic. It's like a music genre. It's like disco, for instance. Disco <laughs> had, a, it had, like, it had its time in the sun. It was a great genre. genre. Then by 1980, people are like, this is so 70s. Like, let's just dump it and forget about it. And now it's having a moment again, which, again, even that was impacted by how people, again, view Black and people of color and queer people. And I think it's like one of those things where people need to be aware how linked like racism is into spaces that are queer. Like a lot, I do, I hear a lot of people who are hetero and aloe who would say, I didn't know there was racism in the ACE, in, in the ACE community. I'm kind of like, there is, there's, there's quite a lot. I think one of the biggest moments, uh, which I'm not going to name names, but it's like one of the moments where a black asexual woman speaks up about something, they get a lot of hatred for it. And now that a white ace person brings it up, they get praised for they get praised for um, bringing it up, which, again, I'm happy that they're able to get their story out there. But people really switch their attitudes when that person came, came out about the story about that particular person, when that uh, when the black asexual woman um, did. And it was something it, I didn't see it as all oh, this person is getting what they deserve finally. But it was kind of like a wow, this is really a ball dropping again type situation. Yeah, it's a matter of not listening to a black ace woman when she speaks up or not believing her because there what I think the community really needs the the white members of the community in particular, they need to sort of hone their skills for identifying racism because it is very easy if you are a white person to ignore the racism and sometimes it will genuinely just go over your head because it's not affecting you and not everything's as overt as like being called a slur like if you're looking for that you probably aren't going to find that in our small communities but it's the more subtle things it's the fact like whose voice is getting amplified over someone else's did a black ace talk about this two or three years ago and no one paid attention and they got hate for it but now a white ace brings it up and everyone's concerned about it it's it's those subtler things and i think not a lot. Pe people who haven't experienced racism in their own life 
don't always know how to identify that. So if they hear that there's racism in the community, they say, well, that's bad. And I want to, I want to help that. But a lot of people don't know how to help that because they don't even know how to identify it for themselves. Yeah. It's like one of those things where I'm happy people are seeing it now. I think people are definitely seeing it more now that things have settled down more. I think people are looking back and say, huh, the reactions work are kind of very a stark difference. But it's like one of those things where I hope that things improve in the community. And I think Yasmin, for instance, being a grand marshal of, of this parade is a big deal and a step forward for Black asexual folk and asexual folk in general. And to see that, it makes me very proud of them and very proud of us as a community that even though we make up a very, very, very small proportion of the population, we are making huge steps into the future. Yeah, absolutely. It It is very... As with any social justice fight, there's always incremental progress being made. There always is. So it's always a little bit better than it used to be. But it is very easy to see the places where we are sliding backwards a little bit and get way too discouraged. But even when there's a big step back, there are always several little steps forward that are just always happening. So there, there is a time and a place for being disheartened by seeing things slip back in time, but there's also a time and a place to say, look, this is progress. It's like how cake now is just getting its moment now, I think even, even though it's been a symbol in our community since the early 2000s, I think I'm definitely enjoying like seeing the reactions of both asexual people and adult people when it comes to ace cakes. And I think my mom, like my mom definitely enjoys, like my mom enjoys number one, the time we have to talk while we make this cake and stuff. And like the ideas that she has, she's more excited about making ace cakes than I am. <laughs> she's more the baker. That's darling though. <laughs> Yes, I like to cook. Like I like to cook stuff. I don't really like to bake. I think baking is messy, but I love I love cakes. <laughs> I think it's one of the biggest things that I'm happy that even that's getting intertwined in physical life outside of online. Where I do know that cake started off as like how do you say a gaff or gif? Like the idea of an Avon. Yeah, it it was it was interesting because on Avon before there was ever like before there were any cake gifts or before they had like the cake emoji. I think it was before the word emoji though, so it was probably called an emoticon. <laughs> oh, like that. Is... <laughs> Let, let's all age ourselves just a little bit here. Um <laughs> But even before there was like a graphic for a cake that people would use on Avon, you can go back to these old forums and people would be like welcoming new members and say, hey, welcome, have a slice of cake. Yes. And I'd even see, you know, aces from the UK offering like, I don't know, I had to Google them because I didn't recognize the brand, but I get the impression they're like the equivalent of like British Little Debbie's, like little baked good wrapper cake things. And they'd be like, oh, welcome, have one of these. And so even if you aren't saying the word cake, they're getting like really specific about the things they're theoretically offering these new people. And it's like, that has been such a staple of community building and that's what i love because it doesn't just represent cakes are for aces it represents coming together over a cake sharing a cake gifting cake it's that's the community building and that's something that i think our community could really benefit from more of because we are so fractured and splintered and 
I will say as well, and any links we mention, as usual, listeners are going to be in the show notes, so you can definitely pop down and see Marshall's YouTube video, for example, the cake article. But if you are especially a white ace, it's not just for white aces, but especially if you're someone who needs a little help learning how to identify the racism in the community, we do have our Apex Committed to Anti-Racism Discord, ACAR for short. That is still alive. It is still active. I am the creator slash one of the moderators of it. And we have conversations like this all the time because I saw the trending topic, like, oh, race is a topic again. Now nobody's talking about it. Oh, race is a topic again. So I wanted it to be more of an ongoing conversation, but also more community focused, not just tweeting at each other saying, hey, silly do something about the racism issue and then nothing ever gets done like let's build a community let's let's have cake together and combat these issues yes like i think that's one of the sweetest the sweetest things about our community is while we do have a lot of issues we are still very close-knit even at times when we kind of beefing with each other we still have time for a slice of cake it's very it's just one of those things where I think I, I do I do have a lot of hope for the community. Uh, I do think kicking away is one of the things that's going to help it. I am like on YouTube, for example, I'm making my return to YouTube after 11 months. They're probably gonna be mad at me and say, I thought you were dead, but I'm kind of like, I'm here. <laughs> uh, but um, I'm actually doing a thing where I'm listing my cake recommendations to what you want to bring to a ace meetup. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm listing five cakes and maybe a maybe a one dishonorable mention that Ooh. I think like ace people can kind of agree with and even owl people can agree with. Yeah, it's like it's very cool to have like cake as a centerpiece of your culture. Sometimes I forget that cake is a major. It's so it's so big that I forget that it's the major part of who who I am. Being African American, I did grow up with a lot of like let's just say German chocolate cakes, caramel cakes. Oh, yum. Yeah, red velvet cakes. Um, mm. Red velvet cake is a very important staple for Juneteenth because it's yeah. red. And a lot of people, like, it's like one of those things where even that is intertwined in um, an identity. Like, and people need to definitely know more about it. But my mom, my mom's here. Would y'all want to say hi real quick? Yes, bring her on. Absolutely. Hi. Yay. Hi, everybody. Hello. <laughs> How are you today? Good to meet you. <laughs> Good to meet you, too. At long last. I'm such a fan of your cakes and your son. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you like my cake? I really put so much into <laughs> it. It shows. It's it's truly one of the highlights of Ace Twitter. Every time we have a Pride oh. event for International really? Asexuality Day or Ace Week. Thank you so much. I'm in full support of all of everything. So I want to see how can I support this the way I can cake. <laughs> <laughs> There's no better way for aces. That is spot on. It is beautiful. Oh, that's great. Well, I'm glad you look forward to it. And I'm glad to be able to put in my support to you guys and, and, and with my, my gentle giant here. <laughs> he is my absolute favorite. <laughs> 
He does a lot of good work for the community. So we definitely, definitely appreciate him. We appreciate you. We appreciate your cakes. I think the relationship you two have is just one of the coolest things and I'm sure is so important for a lot of young queer people to see because not everybody gets such an awesome, supportive mother as you are. So I don't understand how you couldn't be. You have a child. They're yours for life. And I don't see how it could be any other way, but that's what he is to me. (laughs) And his friends are my friends. So thank you so much. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Really? Well, I'll try to keep the cakes coming. (laughs) (laughs) We will look forward to them. All right. You have a good day. Thank you. (laughs) Yes, you have a good one. Like, so I wanted my mom, like my mom often feels like she doesn't get like a lot of like, she is like she does enough, but I'm like, you're doing something that's very wonderful. You are literally helping community stay together and stuff. Yeah, I do not know any other like ace cake moms that so regularly make ace cakes that get featured online. Like that, that's who she is. She's the ace cake mom. <laughs> yeah, like I said, she just adores it. Like she cannot wait until like ace week. And she's, she actually just told me recently, was like, if there's another asexual holiday that's being made, make sure that I know about it. So I get, <laughs> so I get my recipes. I'm like, okay. And she does not care if she, like, she, she works night shift and she does not care if she stays up like the entire day. She's like, I'm not sleep, I'm not sleeping until I get this cake done. I need you to take pictures of it. I need you to take over 10 pictures so you can have it archived. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And she's like very, she gets very excited and she just loves the fact of being part of history because she's a nurse and she remembers a time she became a nurse in the 80s like the late 80s Mm -hmm. so she knows a lot of the history of the community and what we what we've been through so in this way she feels like she's helping our community advance well into the 21st century which is very cool that is so cool i mean she she's an angel really a nurse and an ace cake mom like super super cool i absolutely love that and yeah with I'm I'm going to have to just do an episode about the history of cake, all the things that I couldn't fit in the article, because <laughs> they paid me to write a thousand words, and I was like, I've never only written a thousand words on a single topic in my life, <laughs> so... I was like, how did you, like, to me, that was a lot. Like, I was like, how did you do this in this small span of time? Courtney, didn't you write like three times the article length that you could actually have? And then the difficult part was paring it down. Yeah, my first draft when I was trying to keep it brief was like over 3000 words. And then I had to cut down a whole bunch. And it it was really, really something (laughs) because I have all these different facts that pertain to Avon, the history of the ACE community. I actually, in my original draft, I had a few more quotes of yours that you had given me when I interviewed you. And my editor was like, I'm loving all these quotes from Marshall, but you haven't said a single word about what cake means to you in your life. And I'm like, that's not the important thing. And they're like, you, they're like you've got to add something about your own relationship to cake. And I was like, fine, I fit it in at the bottom. <laughs> It's like one of those things where I like I'm the type of person where like I don't really admit to saw people, but I don't re- particularly like being the center of attention. I just turned 30 and I did not want to party at all. I told someone, do not throw me a 30th birthday party. Uh, let's just go out and I'll just get a birthday cake from Giant Eagle. Giant Eagle makes the best birthday cakes. Uh, if you're ever in Western Pennsylvania, try it out. But 
I am like so I'm so very happy to like collab with people in terms of like articles and stuff because I don't like being the only person in that spot and I always like being on um, the person that it's just say like someone does like offer me a spot into like an article like you did I it makes me very feel very grateful for that because it's again it's a lot of work doing um activism and there's some times where there's periods of time when it's just quiet and it's like there is no one re- really reaching out to you but it's nice to have on um, the both of you in the community because it's like y'all have really helped a lot and with my work and stuff and i'm very grateful for y'all well i'm i'm just glad that we have been able to help i mean it's it's really for us for the community because i i know what it was like where i'm i'm still like we're still not the biggest names on ace twitter we're not the biggest ace podcast like we're still kind of small potatoes in some ways but over the last couple years we've we've grown a lot more and for us it's like well i remember what it was like when i was trying to talk about these issues for years and the only time i would get attention was negative so it's like i anything i can do to help other people who are also talking about important intersectional issues it's like that that's what we've got to do we've got to stay community focused here and and really i mean it was funny how that article came to be because i've just known for all these years about cake being this big thing in our community and most aces know the cake thing whether or not they know where it came from or when it started they know of it it's so present and i was wondering why nobody was actually writing articles about just like what is the community like other than we're trying to get people to know we exist (laughs) this is the definition of what we are I was like, let's show people what our community is and what the heart of us is. And cake is the natural in to that because that's been the longest running, most widely accepted symbol. <laughs> and like more recently, we have garlic bread. I threw in a couple lines about that because it, it's the same thing. It's like garlic bread is better than sex. It's it's just a new iteration of cake, but cake's been here the whole time. And in in fact, I don't remember what year someone attempted to start this, but before, long before International Asexuality Day, uh, since that's only a couple of years old, it's pretty new. Ace Week is the longest running pride celebration for us. Someone on Facebook made a Facebook page and tried to have an Asexuality Day that they literally just called Cake Day. And I, th- wow. I think they did it for a year. I think they might have tried it again for a second year, but I don't know if the person starting it just burned out. I don't know if there wasn't enough attention drawn to it, but it was literally called Cake Day. That was what the first like big celebration of just Ace on this day was named. And I think that's cool. And a lot of people don't know that because it didn't get all that much attention, but... Yeah, it's like I said, it's like one of those things where I think when people start something, it does get exhausting in terms of like pick, like having traffic come to your ideas. But I hopefully that person can see how cake has grown, grown in the community even more from that point on. I mean, number one, y'all, to me, y'all are very iconic in the community. Like this, this podcast, I adore the podcast. Well, and that is such a big compliment coming from you. Like, I really, really appreciate that. Thank you. Like it's like it's very uh it's like it's it's just nice to have a space where you come you come and like just express yourself and I hope we all just 
somewhere cake goes somewhere where it's like people just know that cake is a big part of our community and it's something that hopefully doesn't never dies out because i know sometimes like my mom says basically how sometimes communities evolve over, over time and something falls out of favor but i think with cake which is weird because i don't know in 2010s there was a very there's there's like a sharp um turn to cupcakes mm-hmm. then now in the 2020s because of the of the panorama which i would not name <laughs> um, there's, been, there's been a kind of like a resurgence of very hearty, very big, like indulgent cakes. Mm-hmm. So I think it was definitely a perfect time where my mom like hopped in like in the kitchen and was like, "I want to do this. I, I have an idea. It's gonna be iconic." And I'm like, "You do what you want. I'm not even gonna have like I'm just gonna sit here and watch <laughs> YouTube and you just go at it because I usually get nervous when people plan something and I'm like, go for it." And every time people take very well to it, it's very, it's very cool that it makes me very happy that she feels like she has like a, like kind of like she's helping out. And I tell her all the time you are, it's like, it's not something that goes away. Once you post a picture on, on Twitter, you are making an impact, even though you're not asexual, uh, you still have a, a vital role in the community as an, I mean, as an, as an ally. Yeah. And cake has this just phenomenal staying power in the community that I have not observed for any of the other symbols because I remember when axolotls were like the ace thing like cake was still there at the time but everyone was like ace axolotls and now there are people who don't know that axolotls are or ever were an ace thing. There are some people I've seen like, oh, well, axolotls are probably an ace thing because there was that ace axolotl in BoJack Horseman. It's like, no, that character in BoJack Horseman was an axolotl because that was already an ace thing. <laughs> and and now with the like, people have playful conversations of like, oh, are you a cake ace or a garlic bread ace? I, I've been in the community long enough to remember when the discussion was cake or pie. Like that that was a discussion like, oh, are you a cake ace or a pie ace? And like now pie doesn't get brought up into the conversations anymore because it's been essentially replaced with garlic bread. But cake is eternal. Yeah. And I, I'm very happy those two things are definitely coexisting in our spaces. I don't want I'm not, this might give me a lot of heat with garlic bread aces, but I'm not necessarily a big fan of garlic bread as I am cake. Uh, I think garlic bread, you can't really eat anywhere because sometimes I don't want my breath to smell like garlic when I'm walking around. Um, But I am happy that we can coexist in spaces such as this. And we can actually talk about what those two items have like an importance in our community. Like it's, like I would be so interested though to see like someone do like an eight a very very asexual garlic bread like multicolored bread or the uh, ace flag colors in it on it and I bet it's doable. I'm sure someone has done it before. Yeah, <laughs> I I haven't necessarily seen it. It might be you know a, a more anonymous person or a smaller account, but I'd be shocked if nobody has ever done that before. <laughs> Yes, it's definitely it's definitely something that I think it probably has been done, but I think uh, hopefully one day someone that someone it just pops up on Twitter and just like it, it's their moment and have, they have their moment and stuff. Like that's why it's definitely very important to it's definitely important to um, while stuff like what's happening with with the let's just say politics well, with everything going on right now, it's just we maintain space in a community where we can come to and just and just breathe 
we have conversations like this. I think oftentimes when situations like this happen, where you do have lawmakers who are trying their best to erase us from public life in private, I think it's one of those things where it, in different times, there's different communities, their cultures have declined because of that type of situation. But I think now people are, especially Gen Z, which, which again, shout out to my Gen Z friends out there. Y'all are doing the, y'all are doing the damn thing. Um, I think people have had enough of having people tell them what to do and telling people who they can and cannot be. Yeah. Enough is enough. <laughs> it is. Like, I, I was born in the early 90s. I remember the time in the 90s where I thought, like, my cousin was born in the year 2000. She had, she had to do, like, an assignment about her year of birth and basically, basically going back to the time period and pop culture and stuff. It made me feel nostalgic, but at the same time, it makes me happy that I'm alive now because I feel like 2000 before we weren't having these conversations about who we are. And at times we couldn't because it was considered a, which it to some people is a threat still, but back then it was very, 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 very like you just kept to yourself and you just moved about your day. Like I can remember, I can remember like just to think, I can remember a time where if someone came out as gay on TV, that was the big like the big like weekly news like yep like breaking news like every time i see if people ask me what my fear is whenever i see the cnn breaking news type situation <laughs> that makes me like every time i see it, i'm saying like, what the hell now what, what's happening now but uh, <laughs> but um it felt like that at the time where someone came out it was news for days where now it's just like oh that's cool but you still have people who react very uh, the people who who unfortunately are going to Target now and ransacking stores, the same people who made comments about people in 2020 when we were just all angry and yeah. Yeah, it's such a strange time to live in right now because yeah, I I do remember like oh my gosh, Friends is going to show the first gay wedding on TV ever, and that was a great big huge thing. And oh my goodness, Ellen DeGeneres has her own talk show now. They gave a gay a talk show after they canceled her <laughs> sitcom earlier, and so like that was such a big like you're seeing these milestones in media and pop culture, and now we've had. I'm not going to say enough gay representation. That's not the word I'm going for. We, we've we had gay milestones frequently enough that they aren't news anymore. <laughs> and now there are even more, like, I, I still kind of see that to a certain extent with trans representation. We have had some really positive trans uh, characters in TV shows, movies, um, some actual trans actors and actresses, but it's not like, okay, Yanya, we know people are allowed to be trans. It's still like an uproar in many senses. I mean, Elliot Page just came out with his memoir and people are all in a tizzy about that. All the people who hate trans people and more broadly queer people are are raging about it right now. And it's like... You know, they just keep moving the target. It's like it became less acceptable to be openly homophobic. So they're like, okay, well, we'll just be transphobic. And 
And uh, we we can we've been casually ace phobic this entire time also, so we'll just double down on that in some ways. But it, I mean, ace phobia and transphobia go hand in hand so often, and I want more people to be aware of the ace phobia that is deeply ingrained in this and also present, because a lot of people, a lot of allies, a lot of allo queer people just ignore the ace phobia. And it always bothers me to a certain extent when people are like, well, trans rights are at risk right now, so they get all of the focus. And you shouldn't be taking focus away. And it's like, we don't want to take focus away. We want these to be simultaneous conversations happening because it's truly the same fight. The bigotry inside of the people who hate us comes from very often the same place. So we are fighting the same thing. And so... Yeah. And I mean, that goes for ace people, too. If there are ace people out there that aren't also, you know, fighting and advocating for trans rights, like, you need to be doing that. That is the same fight. But I I don't think we get as much people saying, like, we need to also remember the aces. Yeah, it's like one of those things where I think people feel like they can't do things simultaneously. Like, they can't be like, we need to focus on this now and later because we don't have the, we don't have the time to do stuff like that. And I don't think it's a very appropriate thing to do. Like I think we have to work on these things because they're coming at us in many angles and it's not pretty at all. No, it's not. And I mean, in, in some ways it parallels the conversation of racism where someone is sounding the alarm years before anyone takes notice <laughs> because, man, 2021, there was a horrible article about how asexual people are all groomers and child predators. And that was November of 2021. I saw that article. Everyone I put that article in front of was shocked. And I was like, this this didn't come out of nowhere. This has been here. I want you to open your eyes and know this has been here. But then what did we see throughout all of 2022? The entire queer community are groomers. Trans people are groomers. Drag queens are groomers. It's like, I I saw that word before it became so prominent, like just, just on the cusp of it really taking off. And it was directed specifically at asexual people. So we need to be cognizant of the hate that different areas of the community are getting because those talking points are going to get recycled all over the place. They're going to sprinkle all these little hateful nuggets around and whatever sticks, whatever enrages the most conservatives, that's what they're going to go for and apply it to everyone. That's the strategy. Like it's like one of those things where like my I think my mom asked me, you see my mom or one of my siblings, they asked me like what are specific words that people use against us? And I'm kind of like I think because of our association with the queer community and us being queer ourselves, I think we, I think unfortunately a lot of the slurs come at us too, but I think for us, it's more of how we're treated, if that makes sense. Like, and people's responses towards us. I did, I did notice that a lot when I was coming out where a lot of people are like, you just need, again, trigger warning and validation where someone was like, oh, is there a pill you could take? Or is there, does, some, does someone hurt you when you were a kid? Stuff like that. Or are you a, an aliver? I'm like, no, that's not. Like, number one, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now. And especially with how this justice system works, I would not be sitting here right, here right now if I wasn't an aliver. Uh, but uh, it's like one of those things where I think there is going to be a, a bright ending to what's happening. I think 
where we're at right now, it's not going to be a forever thing. A lot of people, I know a lot of people are upset about what's happening and a lot of people are very concerned about what's happening. And you have every right to be concerned because it is concerning that you have people who don't want you to thrive in life private or publicly. But I would tell people, especially young, the younger generation in our communities that there's definitely going to be brighter days ahead. It's just going to take a lot of time. There's been moments in history where they were very grim. Like a lot of my family members were sharecroppers in the 1940s, 1930s and 40s. And the next generation, they worked at plants and banks, et cetera. And now I'm a photographer and I am a, uh, my mom's a nurse, et cetera. Like there are times where it's going to be dark, but it's going to be better. Like just don't give up. And also, don't be afraid to speak out, especially if you have the backing of your friends. Make sure you have that first in your family before you step out into activism, because that is very critical, like you said earlier, to have that support system around you when you are an activist, especially where every single day, every single hour, there is bad news about something that yeah. happened for us, to us. And now with, for instance, with, with Yasmin being a grand marshal, I'm pretty sure that there's going to be Comets galore on Twitter. Oh, yeah. I've already seen some. They are already coming. <laughs> like, it does not make sense at all. It does not. How are you just unhappy, especially if you are LGBTQIA plus and you are mad that literally one of your own is going to be a grand marshal for a parade? You really got a lot of unpacking to do. And also it ties into also how a lot of our history is being erased in terms of how, for instance, like how pride started, how a lot of people want to make pride this party, that pride this corporate, uh, corporatized experience, when really people need to understand that pride was a riot in the beginning. And it was a the backlash against the treatment we got from police. And it was Black and people of color and trans people who started it. Uh, in terms of like uh, fighting back and and to make and I'm, I don't know the name of the movie, but there is really one movie where there was a fictional white character that was leading a, that was leading about about Stonewall. Mm. <laughs> and that really irked my y'all really made a fictional white character to star in a, such a very pop, uh, pivotal moment in our history. And knowing damn well, it was people such as Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. First of all, why even make a fictional character for a non-fictional event? Like, even if you're making a fictionalized account of the events, like, we know names of many of the people who were involved. Why make someone up completely brand new? And of course, if you make someone up new, it's going to be a white person. Are yeah, you kidding it, me? Like pay, a, like, pay a consultant, pay someone who was there at the moment. Like, always pay someone if you are wanting to make a project and you want to put this project to the wor- for the world to see and make sure that it's done historically correct. Like, it would be like if I made the Titanic right, and, if I, and I had rows on where a pair of bell bottoms and a slip dress with eyeliner and lip liner and putting her in the 19, 19-teens. It would be historically uh, inaccurate, which, again, that story was alone um, interesting as it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a good point. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever watch... I mean, again, it's, it's a good movie. It was long. It, you literally need to take a day off from work to watch that movie. It's that long. <laughs> On the two VHS tapes. <laughs> yes. By 1997. If I want to relive 1997, I try to watch that movie, but within an hour, I'm just ready to go to bed or just do something else. <laughs> 
like or like some or it's just like i don't like could you imagine, could you imagine being asexual and like i mean we i mean we were asexual in the, in the 90s but could you imagine like being a adult asexual in the 90s like that must have been a very in- interesting experience oh i'm sure it was i mean and i i have spoken with aces who would have been in that camp who have from both sides of things who either did know that they were ace and used either that exact word or something comparable and similar to it but didn't really have the community they didn't really participate in things like haven for the human amoeba they didn't really get on the avon train when it was still young so they still felt just very detached and i've spoken to people who were just like on those forums right from the beginning. And then, of course, there's the folks who just didn't know that asexuality was an option, so they found it much later in life. That's another thing I think a lot of people, when they had discussions about sexual orientation, a lot of people think that it's inherently like sexual and stuff. And I'm like, if had I known about asexuality when I was a kid, I would have had a more smoother childhood and teen year like teen life i did not have a i I had a great life at home but my social life was very poor in the sense of even though i was doing the typical teen stuff of like going to the movies going hang out with your friends going bowling but i was still thinking in my head i had to do something i had to to try to fit into the social norm in a sense and where where I, I turned 20 i turned 22 going on 23 i just said i had enough like i need to say something and finding that label was just it was like winning the lottery but i did also didn't expect me to fall into being one one of like the largest activists in the um in the community like especially at a time where we are now like in 2016 i always thought we were going ahead like we were moving forward but this is actually my first time as, a, as an activist facing such a major backlash to just us in general like i'm pretty sure there'll be like i told my mom i'm pretty sure this won't be my last time someone asked me when will i retire being an activist i'm like uh like i said it's i've taken many breaks and i'll take a break in the future definitely but i feel like as long as there is work to be done and my work to me is not it's, not, it's nothing stressful but if it's something that needs to be done for the sake of kids and and teenagers and early adults i will continue to do that work until if I'm 90, I'll still do it. Like, I, like I, said, I don't get tired of it at all. And I'm very proud of the coming generations who are speaking out and who are doing the things that need to be done to make sure that we have a sustainable future for, for us. We live in a society where people just don't understand and they want to erase us from public life. Like we will, except we will prevail at the end and it'll be because because of our work and their work. Yeah, it's, it is very interesting because in so, so many ways, it feels like our political opposition is so much more organized than we are. Yes. And that is a a major, major frustration of mine because they get things done. (laughs) And sometimes they get things done secretly or they progress so far that we we catch it like when it's alarm bell moment, this is about to happen. And so we're very reactionary, like let's protest this thing that's about to happen or this thing that just happened. And this is not everyone. I know that there are activists who are frequently working on this, just constantly always trying to to improve our rights. So this is not in any way to discredit those people, but especially with, you know, ace specific issues, 
there are so many people in the community that don't even know that there are people who are political opponents of ours who are trying to come for our rights. They'll think like, oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll see people who are trying to take away trans rights. It's like, well, because there are trans organizations that are so much more organized than, than we are in the ACE community. So there are huge trans Twitter accounts that are blasting out, you know, different bigoted legislation that's on the table, trying to get people in those areas engaged to get that education out there. There are grassroots trans activists in all major cities. <laughs> Even if you don't know who they are, they are there, I promise you. Yes. But as far as ACE activism is concerned, I'm I'm always surprised when people will say, you know, oh, I didn't even know that people were specifically mentioning asexual people in political documents or that people were trying to say that asexual people can't marry. I didn't know that at all until I listened to your podcast. And it's like, well, yeah, because we don't really have a lot of ace activists who are monitoring our, our political opposition to know what they're trying to do next. Because... Yeah, with the Respect for Marriage Act last year, we did a whole four-part series where we were like, hey, they said we shouldn't double down and protect same-sex marriage because it could lead to asexual marriage. They said Ugh. that. They sent that to Mitch McConnell. They know who we are, and they hate us, and they don't think we have rights, and they want to take away the ones that we do. Yeah. And it's like, again, it's also like the policies where you can't like they're trying to come up with where you can't live with someone who you're not married to. If that makes sense, like the ones out in the Midwest, I think. Oh, yeah. There there are a couple of different places. I mean, there's one city in particular right near us that sort of redefined what family means. And so that was something that we specifically spotlighted. But there are a few other places in this country that have weird legislation that is normally done at like city council levels, which have usually less oversight than the bigger political branches in our government. So it slides under the radar so much more often. And there's really kind of just a fundamental flaw in this country's like approach to like architectural zoning because people will zone cities and say, well, these buildings are zoned for business, only business, and these can be zoned for hotels and these can be zoned. But the word family is used so often, it will, will have homes that are zoned as like single family homes. <laughs> multi-family homes. And since that is the language, since family is in those zoning laws, it inevitably follows that the government has to legally define what a family is in order to adhere to those zoning laws. And it's mostly old white straight people on city councils in a lot of places that nobody is paying attention to. So if they say, well, family is only blood relation or marriage, that is it. Well, all right. <laughs> there goes queer platonic partners. There goes, you know, even a romantic couple that just maybe hasn't decided to get married. They don't want to for whatever reason. And there goes, you know, roommates, if you have too many of them. <laughs> and it's it's a real problem. 
it's like the with the downtown like now with the post not post but uh because we're still in it like the pandemic where we basically they're trying to restructure what downtowns are now and apart and turning office buildings into apartments and it's happening a lot and oftentimes those apartments seem to be geared to like they're building very few studio apartments where it's just one person but i noticed that now it's like one to two bedrooms and they're huge apartments like not something you expect for one person and also they're gearing entertainment and retailing towards like more family entertainment as opposed to just sing like just single by yourself type of situation it's one of the it's very odd to see how i think people will eventually see how people how these politicians coming out coming at asexual people but i right now i think they're still trying to grasp what asexual people are like who we are I feel like a lot of people see me as a big question mark when they, right, when I'm in their space, kind of like, oh, you're asexual. What do you do for time? What do you do if you, what type of job do you have? I'm like, what does that have to do with my sexuality? And also, like, I actually had one one person say, you, you like um, Tina Turner's What's Love Got to Do With It as a fellow ace. I'm like, that's something that's very odd where people try to, like, mold what asexual people can and cannot do. Or cannot, now, now it's basically what you cannot listen, like can't listen to what you can listen to. That's why I made that uh, post on Twitter, basically saying how I was kind of, I was kind of irritated when someone literally an attribute post to Tina Turner literally just said as a as a fellow ace, I don't know, I don't know how to feel about the song, and I'm like, but Tina Turner is a legend. Yeah, <laughs> if if my if my taste in music was. There's some music, there's some songs that may defined, uh, may be defined by um, asexuality and my why near my playlist. But the majority of my playlists are adult songs. Like they're very adult centered, and but it doesn't uh, bother me or impact me in a very in a very manner. Like again, uh, Megan Stallion and, and Cardi B's W A P O capital letters. Mm-hmm. It's a tremendously catchy song. <laughs> I can't help it. It's like one of the songs that is good to use at protests, especially when it's in front of older white men. And that's one of their triggers. And <laughs> yeah, for, for some odd reason. <laughs> but uh, uh, but it's like very, like, it's just very odd where when people, when they find out you're asexual, they monitor and they also nitpick of what you do not do and why you're doing this if you're asexual, stuff like that. And I literally had someone ask me, why are you on Tinder if you're asexual? I'm like, there's literally a, I think there's literally a sexual option on Tinder, which does not work, which it does not work. I got a lot of, I got a lot of odd things with that. Mm. I don't date. I was just on there for for curiosity's sake. But even that, it, sh- it shows you how a lot of people who are like, is there really hatred against asexual people when you're, when you're perpetuating it by just saying, just by just saying that? Like, is there really a war against asexual people? I'm like, there's a war against us and everyone else in the, in the queer community. Yeah. And of course, I mean, aces are so diverse in the way that we live our lives. So there are some people who will get married. There are some people who will have kids. So there, there's no way to predict the outcome of a person's life just by knowing their sexuality. But that's true with all sexualities. Not all gay people get married. Not all straight people get married. But there are certain things that I would say are probably more common in our community, like wanting to be single or staying single. And sometimes like if if you're talking to the right person who's open to learning, they might be like, oh, okay, I can see it's perfectly valid to stay single. And that that's totally fine. But what I find is that people who are would-be allies don't take that train of thought 
far enough to actually know what an ace person would actually need for support and community long term. Because if someone wants to be single, if they prefer to be single, there are certain things that are still very difficult to access. Sometimes it is still difficult to rent as a single person in some places because renters often, or like landlords often have, dare I say, too many rights (laughs) to turn away people for whatever reason they want. So if they would rather rent to a nice, respectable family instead of a single person, that is unfortunately, sometimes within their legal right to do. And so that is an issue in itself. But even aside from that, when you were talking about apartments, that got me thinking about how so many like single room apartments are seen as just like starter places to live. They are just sort of I mean, I don't necessarily want to say like bottom of the barrel, but they might be a little bare bones because a lot of those landlords don't suspect that they're going to have a lot of very long-term renters. So they might start slacking on, you know, updating amenities and appliances and things because it's either like apartments like that for for single bedrooms often, or in, in some metro areas, you'll get these like wildly expensive, like single room penthouses that are supposed to be like for or single tech entrepreneur bachelors that are paying like $8,000 a month. And it's like, there isn't a lot of in between. And there are some people who do want, you know, something that is perfectly suited for a single person that is going to be a long-term home, a long-term investment that is going to be nice and sustainable. But past that, also just this country has a really bad habit of assuming that everyone's retirement plan is my children will help take care of me. So (laughs) what do we do about, you know, Ace and Arrow elders who are not married, who do not have kids? Are we going to have it? Are we going to have a retirement plan? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I mean, gosh, like retirement homes are so wildly expensive in this country that there are literally people who are like, well, it's cheap enough to just constantly rent out a room on a cruise boat. So I'm just going to do that. (laughs) I want to be like, I think once I get to age, I'm just going to be the person that even I'm going to be one of those. This might sound very bad and judgmental, but I'm going to be one of those Instagram influencers that chow the row with little money. And I might just say my occupation is I collect butterflies. That's how I make my money. But uh, <laughs> but uh, that's how, like, when I watch House Hunters, I'm like, how are y'all doing this with two kids? And y'all are just a teacher and a, let's just say, stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad. Stuff like that. And they don't, and, and the odd thing is they don't, they don't get viewed as weird. But me or y'all and anyone else in the ACE community, when we want to go about how we live, let's say, with or without a partner, our if we marry that person, it's always viewed as why, like, what was the point of y'all being married? I was kind of like, that's not the, that's not the point. I might, that's, again, as you can tell, I've been through a lot of frustrating comments from people, um, especially the people who just, once you say you're asexual, it just, it's just define this, define that. Like, you need to answer my questions immediately. But I think also, like that, in terms of like developments of downtowns, I think what people need to prepare for is they're not necessarily planning for single people. They're planning more for family oriented 
entertainment, restaurants. Um, if you go downtown to, to in my city, there used to be a lot of nightclubs, a lot of places where you can go at night. They still open until 2 a.m. You could um, go out with your friends, have fun. Now we have a food hall. We have a market, which is now you see families from the suburbs. Now, like, they left downtown decades ago in the 70s when the mall opened, but now they're starting to return. And now they're the, the focus of the revitalization of the area. But even... That's it, it's how I kind of view pride in a sense where because pride is very corporatized, it's very it can be cold. Luckily, my local pride is more there's more local hands involved. But you do have an insurance company um, being involved, um, sponsoring pride. You have, let's just say, Macy's, a department store who have ran departments, many department stores out of, their, out of business, stuff like that. A lot of banks I've noticed. Yeah. Like pretty soon, as July as eleven fifty nine, I always hold my breath until 11, uh, until twelve a.m. July first because I don't know if you remember when Google had like the logo, their Google logo and pride. And my mom was like, "Why are you pressing refresh?" Because I was me and her watching TV. I said, "I'm waiting until Google just drops us until next year." And, <laughs> and I'm like, "And it's midnight, and it just has the, like the regular Google." Like, "Welcome to Google." I'm like, "Great, see you next year." Mhm. Well, and that's that's kind of an interesting thing too because I don't ever see we'll get the one-off little company maybe here and there that will do a little sort of like hooray aces something, but we don't get it on the scale that, you know, gay pride gets. And I've got a theory about that. I've got a theory that corporations look at gay couples and they think dual income, no kids. Yeah. They've got money. Money. We want it. So let's build brand loyalty and show them that we agree with their lifestyle. But with Aces, we're we're a bit of a challenge to capitalism in a number of ways. Uh, sex sells how how if if sex sells is something that you have learned as a marketer and you're presented with okay now appeal to an asexual demographic like they'll you'll just hear static sounds in in their head like they 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 won't know what to do with us how do you advertise to asexuals unless they take it the really scummy route of like let me advertise for you a thing to cure your libido cuz it's a problem like <laughs> Or better yet, if anyone watches this, like uh, let's just say a, a corporate grocery store, if y'all watching this, if y'all are looking for asexual people, give us your bakery for and uh, for every holiday that we have. Give us your bakery for Pride, and we'll kind of be happy. But also, but also, again, also be sure to again pay us. I hate I hate when when I see people who do like sponsorships for let's say a major company and they don't get paid for it at all. Like they only, they only, they only want your traffic, not necessarily want to invest into your well-being. And again, it's activism is not about, it's not about money. It's not about, it's not about making quote unquote a living. It's just making sure that you're okay while doing the work. Like I used to work at a grocery store. Now um, I don't, and I plan on looking for something else in the future while maintaining my activism. But now, but mainly my focus is my work in activism and making sure the community is doing good and stuff. But it would be so nice to have people not donate to these corporations and donate to the people who work to make sure that we have visibility and make sure that we bring resources to the community and donate to our organizations. Like 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's a big reason why we wanted to start our marketplace for Asenero small business owners, because even if it's not activism specifically, it's like ev- everyone, it's, it's pretty common thing, especially around Pride Month or other Pride events throughout the year to be like, remember this Pride to pay your local queer people, like give us money, support us, because uh, these corporations aren't doing it. But Sometimes you'll get like threads where it'll be like, you know, drop your businesses, drop your Kofis, drop your Patreons, and let's try to support each other. And that's great when that happens. But unfortunately, there's only a certain amount of lifespan to a tweet or a Facebook post. And eventually it's going to stop, lose engagement and fall out of visibility. And we just wanted like a website where it's like, if you want to pay an ace and arrow person, here are hundreds of them. Go forth. <laughs> yes, it's very important. That's why a lot of us also have like Cash App. Like a lot of people are like, why don't you put your Cash App on in your bios? Because we a cup of coffee would be nice. Like a cup, uh, something. This activism doesn't pay. <laughs> no, like and again, if you're unemployed and you're doing the work, it's a lot of work. And again, it's again, it's worth it. But I would never trade my experiences for being an activist for anything and i would actually rather do this than fall into the corporate world but because of how our society works maybe maybe that'll change in our lifetime maybe that's the next wave of stuff that's happening already people are working from home not now which is nice but thanks to martha stewart she said that when people come back to the office so i'm like Ew. please continue making cakes i liked you so much better when you were making cakes (laughs) hang out with snoop dog hang out with snoop dog just leave us alone leave us alone (laughs) rapport (laughs) like rapport we just need to go alone yeah because there there are like activism hardly ever is an actual position where you can make money from and even the very very few people who are lucky enough to get a job in like a nonprofit. Nonprofits still don't pay employees well because it's a nonprofit. So you're still not going to be making good money, even if you're doing that. And there's also the negative downside that now that you are formally working for a nonprofit, you might be confined by the rules of that nonprofit and the rules of people who are helping to fund that nonprofit. So you might be trading a meager salary for a lot of creative freedom and a lot of freedom of speech and visibility that you could have independently. So it's always a toss up and different answers are going to be different for different people. But let me tell you, your your average, like your favorite ace account on Twitter, your favorite ace content creator, the the people writing ace articles, like if we're getting paid for any of that, it's not a full time salary. Like it's definitely it's 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 fun worth it. But I, like I said, people, if you want to support, just more people go support your podcast. Tip me a cup of coffee. It, it's that simple. And also donate into. A social outreach, even etc. Absolutely, and I am going to put a link to those things in the description for all of our folks. Awesome. But before we head out for the day, tell us where are all the places that our listeners can find you if they aren't already following you. You can find me at Gentle Giant Ace on Twitter. You can find me at Gentle Giant Ace ninety three on TikTok. You can find me at Marshall John Blunt B L O U N T on YouTube. Excellent. Well, Marshall, 
Also, it's it's a reach. I'm sorry. It's a reach. <laughs> well, Marshall, it was so so good talking to you. It is always a pleasure. Thank you for the work you do. Thank you for talking to us. And let's see what <laughs> I feel like the biggest revelation from this episode was that uh, racism in the ace community is like disco. <laughs> Yeah, like it, it's in, like it's in. Then next minute, it's out. Then it's in again, and it'll go out again. So remember, listeners, disco never goes out of style. Nope. Keep listening to disco. Yep. Hang a disco ball in your house right next to your ace flag. Period. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. It is a pleasure. I'm sure we will <laughs> talk to you again in the future. So yes. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. We will see you guys all next time. Peace. Bye.